0: All right, I uh, have two copies of the notes here. I think everybody has them, but if you, if you lost yours or want a fresh set or whatever, but I here. could use one. Okay. I
1: thought we would finish them, so I left it at
2: oh.
0: home. Uh, no, no. We haven't gotten to the text yet <laughs> for all the talk. Um, okay. There's one more here if we need it. We can. So yeah, it's it's tiny, but there's a little outline very at the very bottom of the notes there, um, and that's what we're where we're at right now. We've been looking at apostasy, um, you know what it is in general, the warning warnings of Scripture, uh, five deceptions that are common, for, you know that came I borrowed that shamelessly from John MacArthur. Uh, You've heard of R and D, right, Rob and duplicate. <laughs> so uh, those of you that didn't get the joke—that actually means research and development. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but anyway, I use a little R and D. Got this from uh, John. Uh, those five deceptions, you know, people. Uh, this is how to spot uh, apostasy. Uh, maybe in yourself or in others, right? Uh, first was looking for miracles or feelings or blessings, uh, putting experience over the truth of God. Second would be uh, being more committed to a denomination or association than to the Word of God. You've heard that, right? Plenty of examples of that. And the third is uh, people involved in theology is an academic interest. These are uh, uh, there's many of them in our seminaries and, and in, in highbrow churches, perhaps, uh, or other churches too, but look at the Bible as a as an academic interest rather than something to apply to themselves. Uh, fourth is uh, people who are uh, always seem stuck on one overemphasized point of theology, and I would I would add to that, other than Christ, you know, right? Christ is is the centerpiece. Of, he's the head of church, right? He's he's the center of gravity. He's the um, now having said that, of course, John, as we get into our text, uh, Jesus is going to be pointing to the Father. Right? We're gonna talk about that, you know, that that really the end purpose of why, why the Lord came and did what he did is not so we can go to heaven, but that we can see the Father. It's a big difference in that. We'll talk about what that difference is. You know, the heaven is not as much a place as it is a presence. That's a fantastic Well, Okay. Hell would be the opposite of that. And I'm not denying the literal hell, but what I'm saying is that the real pain and torture of hell is not the, the physical uh darkness or or burning and so forth, but the soul pain the inside soul, realizing that that everything you enjoyed in this life was really at the hand of the grace of God. Do you think we realize the hell of separation too? No, yeah, the separation that, that
2: from from God. Yep, forever. Even though those who didn't know it at that time, they know what it is. That, I'm that, not that, sure, Some saying is when you when you're in hell. Yeah, I'm
1: picturing that the, the separation from, from from God. I think just that's what I'm asking. People that go to hell once they once they die and go to hell, then they realize that there is a God. They go to, oh, yeah. and that told they know it. So that total separation, their eyes
0: are open. And that total separation is, is, is part of that misery. Yeah. Yeah, no. yeah we, oh, we have never that, really right. been totally separated from God. Even remember that even unbelievers, every moment of their life experience the common grace of God initially. Mm-hmm. And, and when the, all of that is completely removed, the restraint of the Holy Spirit of your mind, you read in Romans 1 and, and you say, Wow, you know, these people are just like losing their minds, they're going completely nuts. These are like, you know axe murderers you know just sexual murder why doesn't everybody go that way <clears throat> go that way well it's restraining grace of god when that's taken out of the way insanity and everything else takes over so, also the
2: at the white throne judgment they're made very clearly aware of the fact that they uh missed the opportunity of salvation and, and I think at the, at the judgment, they'll know. They'll know. That's right.
0: That's right. Mm. Anyway, yes. Um, so number four is people who always seem stuck on one overemphasized point of theology. But Christ is, is the centerpiece of the scriptures, right? He said, these are they which speak with me, and you will come to me that you may have life. Um, but, but. His, his goal is that we may come with him, as it were, be prepared through him for spending eternity with God the Father and the Son together, right? Um, you cannot and will not be able to see the face of God until, you have, until he has completed his work in you and in me. All right, so um, number five would be somebody who's over overindulgent in the name of grace right um and these are again probably not an exhaustive list but they're pretty common very common uh and and, in looking for the dangers of apostasy right and remember that this is such an important point it's hard to overstress remember that the real danger of apostasy is not the obvious apostasy not somebody who's come to church for a while and then decided that i'm going to go Become an atheist and, you know, just hate God the rest of my life and make fun of Christians for, you know, those are the obvious ones. The ones that the New Testament is warning us about and and Jesus himself uh, and is the ones who have left the faith but are still in the church, right? And that's why I, I like what that sort of practical list that John gave us it really helps us to to, to give us some some thoughts to hang our, our hats on in terms of, of what to really look for. So it's not just a, a theory, but you know here's some real dangers of apostasy of people who stayed in the church, but um, but they're really those really unfruitful branches you know, that he talks about in John 15. And then we looked at, at the apostle of apostasy, right? That's on on the the back of our notes there and we looked at what an apostle is that we don't have apostles today. In the capital A sense, I don't care what people label themselves. There's a new apostolic movement that's coming out. I don't know if you've heard that. Well, these pastors and churches have failed, so we're going to come through and we're going to get it right with these new apostles. Watch out. Them. Watch out for that. Watch out for those people that have a corner on the truth. You know, everybody's wrong with me, you know? Big red flag.
2: Okay. And
1: that's what's supposed to happen before, before the just comes. I mean, that's one of the things that it says. It just kind of goes crazy. And it's, uh, that's right.
0: Ways. Many will come in my name, claiming I you. Yeah,
1: that's,
0: that's a great point, Erica. But yeah. so
1: then we know it's getting closer when that happens. Yeah. and and there
0: is there is really. I remember John MacArthur preaching a message one time. I think it's out of what when Paul says to. I'm sorry, I'm ripping this right now, but it. it what Paul says to Timothy, and it, he likens it to like a telescope. It's sort of like, you know, in the latter days, as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, these deceptions and doctrines of demons get more and more. There's more and more of them. And it's not like the old ones just sort of disappear and replace them. They're still there. and But this, these lines of deception just get bigger and bigger. There's more and more more fragmented, more weird doctrines out there, and more and more voices trying to lead people astray. Uh, just like a, a telescope that's opening more and more, we see more and more of it. <clears throat> Boy, that's true. Really true. We really see that. Again. Good point. So we've, we've looked at all of this, and then we've looked specifically uh, in that last paragraph. I want to reread that because it sets us up again for our text this morning. Um, uh, very last paragraph on page two of your notes. Uh, it is beyond question that Jesus knew... What Judas was going to do. John himself has made that clear in chapter 6 verse 71 and also 13 2 and 26 um, verses we haven't quite that we're about to get into of course. Instead we are left with the inescapable conclusion that Judas had a role to play in God's plan of redemption. What I'm trying to say there is that when you look at when you look at the life of Judas, okay, and you realize that here's a disciple who wasn't just one of the many disciples. Remember at one point Jesus sent out 70, right? So that gives us some idea, even even after the thinning out process of of John 666, where many of his disciples left, still there's quite a few, not just the 12. That's the thing we got to remember. So as it's 12, there are, are a lot of other disciples and you know, this week I was um, with Michael Card at Cove and doing his John intensive. I really, really enjoyed that. <laughs> There'll be more of that coming. Uh, I'll tell you what we learned from that as, as we go. <laughs> but um, you know, he he pointed that out as well. And he's one of the things he pointed out, for example, that there's a lot of women too that travel regularly. Joanna's one of them that we don't often talk about, but she supported. Uh, the Lord and, and his disciples out uh, of her means. She was a wealthy woman. And uh, so there's a lot of people around. Well, out of that sort of pool mm-hmm. of, of larger disciples, Jesus to- chose those 12, right? And Judas was one of them. And it wasn't like Judas was the obvious one, right? Yep. You know, they entrusted him. John's going to tell us, you know, in a, in a bit here in our text that they entrusted him with the purse. You don't, know, the common purse right common money uh you don't do that to somebody who is you know well look at that guy well that's obvious that's the betrayer right there you know you, you get it somebody who puts on an air of of trust you know uh I think
2: it was a T Pearson that I read whos who said that you examined all of the Apostles uh from the standpoint of their credentials and their background and their culture and upbringing Judas would have been the most impressive.
0: Yeah. Um, of all the twelve, he is the one Judean, for one thing. Okay. Which the Judeans were just by virtue of geography, were a little higher class, right? And this is another thing I thought was really interesting that Michael Card brought out. He was talking about the accent that the Galileans and the Judeans would have, right? And it's he likened it, I think it's a good a good illustration. You liken it to a deep Southern accent versus, say, an English sophisticated accent, right? And, and I've thought about that because you know there there are some TV shows like Matlock, for example, that make fun of that, where people see this 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 quote unquote slow. He may be physically slow, but he's not mentally slow, right. right? But but a slow country. Uh, attorney, you know, and they just assume that he doesn't, you know. Or, or Colombo is another one; he doesn't have a southern accent, but he his frumpy coat and everything, you know, and his his one eye that's always looking one way, and, and everything, and his hair, you know, and he just acts like a mess. A and, thing. And, and, one more, and, 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 you know. So anyway, the point is that people judge you often by how you sound. My mom used to say that. She used to say. All the time. People people judge you by how you present yourself, right? You know, how you talk, how you write. You know, so she was trying to drill, you know, good grammar into which I'm very grateful for. So if, if I'm a grammar Nazi and I get out get on to you about your grammar, you know where that's coming from. No, I was saying and there's not necessarily like, um people from California, you know, they think the soft people
1: are dumb mm-hmm. yeah. because of our, you know, the people, yeah. they think they think
0: Right, that's right, and it was the same way that the Jegeans looked the same, that same way on Galilee. And, and it was interesting because where's Jesus from? Galilee. Nazareth of Galilee, right? And not just anywhere in Galilee, but Nazareth, right? To the point where Nathaniel in chapter one of John, right, when he finds out what is he, he finds out Jesus, the Messiah is from Nazareth. What does he say? Can any good thing come out? any good thing come out of Nazareth?
2: Yeah.
0: Well, where's Nathaniel from? Canaan. Six miles away. Little old nothing, Canaan. Just a tiny little hamlet. But even the people in Canaan, the little nothing nowhere in Canaan, look down their nose at the people of Nazareth. So you get you, you, you see what I'm saying? Is is so Jesus. Here's Jesus coming as it were to these. Refined intellectual uh, experts in the law and telling them in effectively a Southern deep Southern drawl about the Word of God. You know, (laughs) you see what I'm saying? (laughs)
2: Hey,
0: (laughs) one of the songs we're going to be singing this week is We Love and Let Us Love One Another. I'm on your side. <laughs> you got my back. I got my buddy. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah.
0: Be like a preacher standing up here with a Mountain Dew or something. You know. Yeah. That
1: was cool.
0: Okay. Anyway, I I thought that was a really good point. But you're back to our point is that that you're right. So of the twelve plus Jesus, uh, uh, um, Judas Iscariot would be the one who would sound. With his with his vocabulary and his pronunciation of the words and whatever, he would sound the most credible. But here's an interesting thought: truth is true, no matter who says it. Right. right. Okay. Well, now let's apply that. If a one of these little snide-nosed bratty kids during VBS that you always have a hard time. With you know that one kid that comes up and says something profoundly true to you. The fact that it comes from that little inexperienced kid doesn't discredit the truth, right? It's still true. And it's still just as true if that little kid says it. Conversely, and here's where it kind of hits us in the stomach in our culture today, and, and this culture too, that's right, really new. If a if a professor with multiple degrees comes and says something false that doesn't lend credibility to the false statement, it's still a lie. It's still just as much a lie if it's a smart intellectual person that's saying it. That's important because in our culture today we have the high priests of scientism known as scientists, right? And if the scientists think this is true, well, we can't question that. Well, we should be careful to question just like there's theolo- theologians I highly, highly respect, but I don't take what they say exclusively. And sometimes I disagree with some things, you know, or maybe it's just I need to learn a little bit more. So the point is that truth is true no matter who says it. And 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 so Judas going around, he would he would have sounded credible, perhaps, and 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 may have looked like the best. Uh, uh of the 12 the best candidate for who would lead this group eventually right uh he turns out to be the apostate so uh anyway um let's get back to our our paragraph here third sentence there he would be the trigger so so the point is okay did did was jesus fooled by this no no others may have been the disciples were certainly we're going to see that in the text when jesus it gets really, really visibly, uh, emotionally disturbed. And, and and it must have been a very visible display in his humanity because John really makes a point of that in the text. Uh, and John was right next to Jesus. So he would have seen that. Maybe even some tears welling up in his eye. Whatever whatever he saw that that told him of the internal emotional state um, of Jesus, w- when that happens and he says, Well, he's going to betray me. They're not like all of a sudden looking at Judas, right? and saying, well, I, I knew that all along. We know who that is, right? No, they're looking around as an eye as an eye. Um, And so Jesus knows this in advance. So why did he choose him? Why did he put this is this is the conundrum that we struggle with, right? you know, and and how could somebody, you know, first of all, why did Jesus put him in that elite 12? okay? And then secondly, why did Judas, having sat under the greatest teacher the world has ever seen, the word of God himself in flesh, right? How did Judas, with all of that, turn out the way he did to a side, right? And so that's what we're trying to answer in this last question, or this last paragraph here. So we are left with the inescapable conclusion. We can eliminate the other stuff that Jesus didn't know about it or or he was fooled by appearances like everybody else. Uh, no, he knew in advance. He knew what was going to happen. So the only conclusion we can come to is that Judas had a role to play in God's plan of redemption. Okay? Uh, he would be the... Now watch this, because this is important. He would be the trigger that Jesus would, would pull during, during his upper room discourse that would spark the firing of the events that culminated in Jesus going to the cross. Far from catching God by surprise, Judas instead represents for us the archetype of apostasy. Here is a person who, by all rights, should never have abandoned the faith. He personally saw and walked with the Lord during his ministry. He was commissioned along with with other disciples by Jesus on numerous occasions to preach the gospel and even to perform miraculous signs. That's shocking. His ears were blessed to hear the greatest prophet of God the world has ever seen. And yet he betrayed him for the sound of a few coins in his purse. He stands as a sober reminder that unbelief in Jesus is not an intellectual problem, but a heart problem. Judas never had the new heart promised by God in the new Covenant. If your efforts of trying to reach somebody and pouring your life into them have ended in failure, remember Judas. Even the Lord himself had people like that. And that wasn't just Judas either, right? Judas is the archetype, but there's a lot more. And the Lord himself, well, we looked at Matthew 7, right, several times. The Lord himself says on that day of judgment, after his His whole church-building process is done, and, and, you know, we're 2,000 years distant now. We can see, you know, the influence of the gospel globally and, and the church everywhere but out of all of that effort, and it's not just the Western church, right? It's gonna be every church is going to have these kinds of people who were exposed to the truth of the word of God. And and and, and, and it says in Hebrews, tasted the powers of the age to come, right? And saw the Holy Spirit working in people's hearts and and were even around conviction, maybe even uh, um, had tears and and there's it says in the gospel of the the gospel, the parable of the soils, you know received the gospel with joy, you know, all of that, and, and they looked genuine. But on the last day, Jesus says, "I never knew." Right? So he's going to say he warns us about that. That is, man, maybe I overemphasize that point because I was there, and it's so, it's so dangerous because it's not like you know you think, okay, well I'm you know I'm I've really abandoned faith here, but I don't want to tell you like because I want to keep. Hanging around with these dumb gullible people and get all the money I can't tell. You, you don't you don't think of it that way. You think you're genuine, but you lot, but you don't realize that the sin is taking over your life, and you have another God, even another Jesus in your heart, and you don't even realize it until it's too late. Bottom well, to the heart the Lord is more deceitful. That's right. We deceivers. It's That's right. It's deceitful, not just everybody around, it's but yourself. us too. So all right. All right. In the back of my mind, sometimes
1: I think that Judas thought he was doing, it wasn't just the money, but he thought maybe he was doing God a favor by exposing Jesus as a fraud. I don't know. I mean, Paul kind of.
2: Thought
1: that way a little bit too, I think maybe, maybe not quite like that. But
0: anyway, I don't know. It, it, I'm thinking
2: so, how loud.
1: Yes,
0: yeah, perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, when we when we looked at uh, chapter uh, twelve, the early part of chapter twelve, where, where Mary pours appointment, we looked at parallel accounts, right? And Matthew and Mark also talk about that moment where she anointed. They actually say she anointed his head as well. So I think it was, I think it was maybe she just kind of drizzled it, started in his head, and went down and most of it kind of poured the rest out on his feet and, and wiped it with her hair. Well, Judas, um, it doesn't say in the other two gospels. It says some of the disciples complained about it, but John fingers Judas particularly as the most vocal leader of that. And and then, but the other gospels, it's interesting because the other gospels in their timeline directly connect that to Judas going and betraying him, or, or or at least offering to be part of their scheme to capture him. So, but you're right, he may have had some thoughts there too about boy, this messiah is not turning out the way he ought to, right? Yeah. Well, also, if if Judas was after money only. There wasn't that money in in the money bag of the disciples. Right. There are a lot of other ways that you could have gotten a lot more. Right.
2: And so um that's another thing I'm thinking about. You might have been a zealot too. He he might, might have been. been. Might have been. been a zealot. national zealot. You name
0: Yeah, Judas would
2: know. the name of a right. national hero. Right. Yeah. Right. Judas Michael, that's right? Yeah. Right. Right. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Very interesting thoughts. Um I think I think. And it's usually not just—you're right. right. It's usually not just people are not usually just flat, you know, two-dimensional caricatures. Right. I want money. I want money. Right? It's probably a, mo- a mix of things. Yeah. But the Scripture puts the love of money front and center, from yeah. what I can tell, right. in all the Gospel accounts. Right. As right. as His man, and Scripture warns, right? You know of the danger. You know that the right. love of money is a right. root of all kinds of evil. Right? Right. So, yeah. Good, great, good discussion. All right, let's get into our text. We're going to actually get into our text. You know, one more comment. Yes, um, <laughs> y'all's fault. <laughs> you know, you had
2: mentioned this is a warning to us, and it's a good one. Mm-hmm.
0: But the disciples had the right question, and I wondered if we uh, often ask that question. That's fair. Is it I? Is it good? We always we always
1: look at other churches. For somebody, else right. Anyway. right that's you right. know, so I, I think they
2: were kind of getting a little bit <clears throat> as far as as far as who Jesus was, and uh, and possibly their
1: their in inferiority to that. Because so they they ask the that, and that's the question which should all ask.
2: Yeah,
1: is it I Do we do we
0: evaluate our lives instead of evaluating other hope I agree and with them. That. But you know when and you're that's great insight, okay, right? because in John's gospel that's what we see. But if you remember back to the notes when we when I was introducing this section, the whole upper room, those notes contain my best attempt to construct a timeline from all the gospels. Mm-hmm. Jesus, when he first announces someone who's going to betray in the other gospels, not John. Okay, their focus is on each other. Mm-hmm. Remember that? And they began to look at each other and say, "Which I wonder who that would be, which is interesting. And, and, and that may have possibly have started this whole thing of who's going to be the greatest. Well, it won't be made. And we see that. We see that argument still playing out, that pride still persisting, especially with Peter, who's the most vocal, not only in the upper room, but in the garden as well, even when the Lord, the Lord tells him, not once, but twice that he's going to deny him. Once in the upper room and again in the garden. And Peter still doesn't even want to believe the Lord. No, no, even though all these dis- desert you, I never will, I'm willing to go die. And then it says the other disciples said the same thing. So I think, I think there's this, you're right, okay, but they had to go through this humbling process. And what was that? That's the privilege. Jesus in Luke, he first tells them you know, among the Gentiles, you know, they lord it over you, but it's not to be that way among you. You know, I am among you as one who serves. And he gets up and he watches their feet and it quiets all those arguments and there's the embarrassment and there's repentance that has to happen. Conversation with Peter, you know, you guys need to be cleaned. Why? With what? not just physical water, but the water of the word of God, right, to do exactly what you're saying. So then, he, so he says that, that he goes to that foot washing, it changes the whole mood, he confronts their pride, and then he goes back to say the same thing again. And now they're saying, it's a die. Yeah, so you're right, but they have to go through the water of the word of God to get there. That's true with us, too. That's exactly we, what I was going to say. That, that's that, very true of us. and so We should learn. Because you're you're right, Larry, and we do that, you know, we're so guilty of that. I I am probably one of the world's worst. That church over there or that person over there, you know, they really. And Jesus doesn't say, you know, you can't go and help your brother, but he just says, what do what first? Get the huge problem out of your own eye, right? That you know, using using hyperbole, that's where we're trying you know get the log out of your eye and then you can help your brother with his speck right that's why the more i study this the more i'm just impressed with humility and how how important it is to be humble humility is not just running myself down humility really is a truthful honest look at who i am and my flaws you know and understanding that 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 even as I speak to you about your sin, I'm a sinner you know, there's nothing in me. There's no power in me to change you. I'm not gonna give you some magic words that's gonna, ooh, wow, you know, that if I say anything that's that's that penetrates your heart and, and, and is used to help grow you spiritually and edify you, it didn't come from me as a source of origin. You know, you know what I'm saying? You have to change your perspective in that and Paul uses illustration of the jars of clay, and 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 listen, if if a, if a jar of clay is full of something else like dirt, you can, you don't have much room for the water, right? So but same with us, when we're full of ourselves, there's not much room for Christ, right? So he's got to clean us out just like he did with them. So you're an empty vessel, and now he can pour his grace into you and turn give to others. He like that
1: just me. The rich young ruler that like um and who was had such a prominent position in the um in the synagogue and everything. And um he he just it, pride was his thing. Yeah. I mean he was very accomplished and that was very good to be so accomplished, but that was his big thing too, the Lord he knew what he needed to do and he needed to humble himself, you know. Okay, now go sell everything that we have acquired, basically is what he's saying. The man was just devastated at the thought of having to do that. You know, he wanted eternal life, so Jesus said, This is what you need to do sell everything that you have. Like complete humility, and just <laughs> realizing that all of these things that you have is not what it takes. Um, even position, <laughs> even his prominent position to be a, right. young, a young man and still be in a position in the synagogue. That's right that's really something, and that, that would be very hard for us. We are, for me, if I thought that I had accomplished something wonderful, and then Jesus said, well, that's really great. Okay, now give it all up.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Give it all up, because I have other things for you to do. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So, anyway, I- no, that's <laughs>
0: perfect, yeah. And what, Jesus wasn't just uh, telling him to, to get rid of his money, but his position as well, right? yeah. because he was a ruler, and to come follow me, you would have to give that up. And, and and his wealth, his wealth was was sort of the platform on which his prestige rested, right? If you take that out, his prestige is gonna come down with it. Well we say that when I see what yep. he did Yeah, exactly. Right. And he, had,
1: he he was pretty high. Yeah, you know, and I think I read some of the um, once you once you step out of that, you know, and say I'm gonna take a career change, you can't get back into this. Yeah, right? Right. somebody else steals your spot. All right. So yeah, he took a he took a big jump when he followed the time. That's right
0: that's true of all yes all right y'all look in our right head y'all <laughs> y'all all right first point in our notes Jesus predicts the apostle of apostasy as part of God's sovereign plan somebody read verses 18 through 20 John 13 verses 18 through 20 please in fact let's um Let's start with verse 16. This, this was hard to divide because 16 and 17 run right into 18, okay? Um, so let's get, to, uh, get a running start. Let's start with verse 16 and read through verse 20, Eric. Okay. I tell you the
2: truth. Slaves are, no, are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But this fulfills the scripture that says, The one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand, so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me. And anyone who welcomes
0: me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Thank you. All right, so verses 16, 7, not on our outline, we start with verse 18. But it's very connected, uh, particularly um, verse 16 is very connected to a verse 21, verse 20, which seems to be very out of place almost, right? So let me, this is a good place to introduce this concept because we're going to see this again and again and again and again through these next four chapters, okay? And that is that Jesus, and I, I wish I could remember, I heard it and and I just, I didn't write it down. And anyway, this, this is a teaching technique and I'm sorry, I don't remember the technical word, that's okay. It's the concept that matters, right? This is a teaching technique where you introduce an idea, okay? And then you go on to a different idea, and then you come back to the first idea, again, later. And you can do this with multiple ideas. And this is this is one way, this is not kind of a common Western way of teaching. We, we tend, I tend to be very, you know, okay, here's point number one, and we're gonna exhaust that. And then we're gonna go to point two, and we're gonna exhaust that and point three, right? We don't tend to weave these ideas in and out of each other again and again, like a card deck, um, you know, whoa, hey, I've got another club. Oh, oh, now this is a spade, you know. Oh, and we're back to diamonds now, you know. Uh, it's, it's not, we don't tend to teach that way all the time. But this is what John and Peter does this as well. Paul tends to be more Western like we are. He tends to be very, you know, I mean, you read Romans, right? It's very, you know very linear, very, you know, succinct, and he, he it's like a chain. One idea picks up on the other, build, build, build. But the upper room discourse doesn't work that way. It, it Jesus will enter, for example, one of the main ideas, we haven't gotten there yet, but one of the main topics that's, that's introduced and talked about and elaborated on by the Lord is the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't take all, you can take, when we get there, I, I want to take all those verses in our notes and put them together so you can see the sum total of all that he says about the Holy Spirit in one thing. But he says a little bit about Holy Spirit here, and then he goes on to something else. He'll say a little bit more about Holy Spirit, and then he'll go to the Holy Spirit again later. Okay. So it's important that, that as you go through it, you, you slow down and realize, okay, he's he's building on what he's already said earlier, but there's been a, a thought or two in between. Okay. But it's not to say that they're totally disconnected, because they're not. Okay, so verses 16 and 20 are a great example of that. So verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And let's get down to verse 20. Truly, truly, he right? says again, in other words, listen up, right? About to give you a very important point. I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. But look at the verses in between. I'm not speaking of all of you, for I know who the scriptures, you know, that I've chosen the scripture be fulfilled. He who ate his bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm I'm telling you this now so that when it takes place, you know that I'm he. What, what in the world does that have to do with 16 and 20, right? Well, they are connected, but what again? This is an illustration of this teaching method where he's he's going to give them uh these thoughts but in in a almost again like a card deck okay you sometimes you get a diamond sometimes you get a club and, and we want to put a, if you're like me i want all my diamonds to get all my clubs together all my space you know what i'm saying but um but but it's important that we connect 16 and 20 together because and, and what's in between is not it's not that it's not important it's just that it's that, that those two verses sort of book in this section right here that we're in 16 through 20, they bookend it. He starts with this idea, he ends with this idea so that it lends credibility. You might say it's like a sandwich, right? It it, it helps us understand what's in the middle. that makes sense? Okay. good morning. Let's see. Uh, okay, so what's the idea here in the verses, okay? The idea is, and, and i got this from Michael Carr, I thought it was it was really good. There's this idea of, and it, it feeds into. There's a different. There's an, actually a Hebrew term for it, which he used, but it, it it feeds into the Greek term, meaning effectively the same thing. An apostolos, somebody who has been sent, and watch this now, given authority to speak on behalf of another person. And what he said was in that culture it was even to the point of use the illustration this way. He said, like, if, if I empower David over here to go to um meet with a real estate agent to tour a house and then to find me to buy that house because we're looking for another place to, to live, say, okay, this is the illustration that Michael used, uh then. His word on my behalf is just as binding. binding legally as if I had said it myself. That's the idea here. That's really something. Yeah. But it's not, it doesn't contradict what scripture says. In fact, it affirms what Paul says in Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 5, right? He's where he says that um beginning around verse 18 or verses 18, 19, 20. We are God's ambassadors, as though God were what? Speaking through us. We implore you on behalf of, of, of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then God made him who knew no sin, verse 21, right? Okay, that's the message. What is the message? God made him who knew no sin be sin for us, so we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. In other words, your sin on Christ His righteousness applied to you. That message right there. Is when you share that with somebody, the sobering thought, it's as if God is speaking through you and you're binding or obligating that person to the truth you're giving. There's a there's a weight and an authority that we have when we share the gospel. So that's why it's important to get it right. But that's what he's saying here. So verses 16 and 20 deal with that issue. So look at verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send what receives who? Me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me picks up from verse 16, which just says that service not greater than his master. That's an important point because he's going to tell them in a little bit that if they persecuted me, they're certainly going to persecute you. Right. But it's the same message. Um, but it's it's the authority that comes. Watch how this works. And this is so cool. It's the authority that comes first from the father. It's given to the son, right? Because he constantly makes a point of saying, again, we're going to see this again coming up. These are not my words. These are the words of the father, right? I'm giving you the words from the father. In fact, in chapter 15, it's the father who does the pruning, the cleaning with the word of God. Okay, but Jesus is the dispenser, you might say. And Jesus, in turn, then takes that delegated authority from the Father that was given him, and he, in turn, gives that to his disciples, who have, in turn, given it to others, who have, in turn, given it to others. And here we are, two thousand years later, and here you and I are, with that same authority that came directly from the Father through Jesus to the apostles, and now that's that's pretty cool, isn't it? It's like a baton, you know, in a race, and somebody has handed, and you know, you're holding. What are you doing with that authority? And don't be like we said with Judas. You know, if 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 people fail to respond in the way that you want them to, that doesn't mean that doesn't. First of all, rob what you said of truth. And secondly, it doesn't mean that you're ineffective or that God isn't working through what you're doing. It could very well be that He wants to use your words uh, later as to bring them to Himself, or maybe as a, a point of judgment in their lives to say, "Look." You had the opportunity. Remember when Eric shared the gospel? You remember the state in whatever its place? Wow. I hope that's helpful. So truly, truly, the service not greatness, master, and then this one. Okay, so let's look at verse um, 18. He kind of interrupts the flow here. Um, blessed are you if you do these things. And verse 18 says, I am not speaking of all of you, for I know whom I have chosen, the scripture may be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel up against me. So he interrupts this idea of, of um, the, the representative authority that these ambassadors or these apostles have. And we're little a apostles, right? We would have that same authority. He interrupts that idea by talking about uh, this one who, though well, he fills the role of an apostle, is one of those that... Uh, is the unfruitful branches he's going to talk about in chapter fifteen? Uh, one of those who's not really truly his, and and what what does he say is the purpose for Judas? The rest of that verse. Yeah. I'm not speaking of yeah. all well of you to whom scripture may be fulfilled. There you go. It's part of God's plan. All right. Where is that text from? Notice that he didn't just say, oh, the scripture, some scripture will be fulfilled. He gives us a quote right there. He quotes that scripture. Um, and where is that? Psalm 41, 41. verse 9. That's on your notes. <laughs> <laughs> just uh easy, just I thought I go to softball once in a while. I'm not very good. We'll hear, right? Sunday school, not Sunday rule, Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, let's flip over there for a second. Um, somebody has that, they can read that. Psalm 41, verse 9.
1: Even my close friend in whom
0: I trusted who ate my bread is healed up his healing. Oh, what, what does that verse... You know, here's another thing we got to remember, too. When, when Jesus or the apostles are quoting Old Testament texts like that, that was very common in that time, because they didn't have chapter and verse, right? They didn't like say, okay, you know, Psalm 41.9, right? We would say that, or and if I say, for example, uh, hey, John 3.16, that's a handle in your mind, and now the whole truth of that verse is unpacked in your mind, right? It's like a handle on the case, right? The handle, the, the whole verse comes with that reference, okay? It's the same thing here. when they would When they would quote a small piece of a text in the mind of all of those who have been schooled in the scriptures, that whole text would come with it. Does that make sense? And so, what is this, uh, Bob, since you've read it, uh, what is this whole text telling us here that, that we see a fuller picture of Jesus' relationship to Judas? That it's, it's happened before? It's happened before? what happened to me probably my close friend. My close friend? He's not in whom God. I what? trusted. Trusted. He's not just an associate, he's a close friend. Yeah. That's right. Speaks volumes. Wow. We get a little insight here in the Psalms of all places to the relationship, the personal relationship that Jesus had with Judas. Even though Jesus knew all along who it was that was going to betray him, Gospels tell us that again and again. We tend to think, because here we are judging Jesus by our standard right if you know that that let's say I'm standing up here and I know that I know one of you has been spreading some vicious rumors about me okay and I happen to know which one that is <laughs> I'm not looking at anyone I'm looking at the ceiling okay <laughs> what's our tendency if we know that about somebody you may smile oh good to see you this morning
1: how have you been
0: but separate yourself from mm-hmm. All right. Are kind of, there's something yeah. there, right? Yeah. There's something there. There's there's a I don't really trust you. Jesus didn't do that. This is this is a great example of that kind of love that John started this chapter with, right? Where he says that he loved them to the max. Remember that? He loved them to the end. And it doesn't say he loved them to the to the max, except Judas. Judas was included in this unmixed, unmitigated, uh, humble, self-serving love of Jesus. Judas' feet was washed, too, right along with all the other disciples. And all these gears that Judas walked with Jesus and the other disciples, <clears throat> Jesus didn't discriminate against him by not really kind of maybe serving him quite as much as he did the others, right? No, Judas was right along with it, was fully embraced in the love of Jesus, Again, that's a little rebuke to our love, right? Because we don't work that way, and so we tend to think of the relationship between Jesus and Judas in light of our how we would do it, even unconsciously, right? And we tend to think of Judas as this, you know, you we know, kind of disgusting, you know, maybe he had little horns on his head or something, you know. But but that's the way we would see somebody who you know. Is, is not really with you and they're going to be your worst enemy eventually but um, he Jesus doesn't do that and this psalm predicts that even my close friend notice that qualifier it doesn't say even my friend it's my close friend in whom I trusted <laughs> who ate my bread has lifted his heel up against me what is the eating uh the bread there oh shit. It's fellowship, but in this cultural context, Bruce, it is a specific place of honor. So when you're having a formal dinner like they are in this upper room, and you're reclined. by the way, the reclining, learned this from Michael Card as well, the reclining at the table like that is a Greek custom, and the Jews picked it up as well. It's not, you know, when you see Leo, uh, Leonardo da Vinci's yeah, last supper, they're sitting there. That's very, you know, European, but yeah. But they're reclining <clears throat> and, and place of honor. If you're if Jesus is the guest of honor, he's he's the Lord and teacher, right? Remember that? He said you call me you'll call me Lord and teacher right after you wash their feet and, and rightly so. So he's the one sitting in the place of honor. He's the he's the you might say the highest place around the table. Those at the left and the right are sitting in places of honor. Guess who's at his left? Judas. Judas. So the way you the way you, you eat is you lean on your left arm like this, right? Because as John, Michael said, this is your bathroom room, okay? <laughs> He's left-handed, so it was funny. But anyway, um, but you've got this, everybody has these little um, has pieces of bread and you dip it in the sauce. It's like chips and salsa now, you know? And the person who's sharing the bowl with you is, is closest to you, right? And that's what this is, ate my bread, in other words, they're they're together. Jesus and Judas are so close at this supper that they're dipping them in the same bowl of eating the bread. That's why in our text, John John leans over says, "Who who is it?" Right, and he says, it's "The one I give the bread to." And it's not that he has to get up and walk around the table. Judas is right there, right, and so he dips the bread and he hands it to Judas like this with his right okay? That's what the psalm is getting at. That's the intimate. And that is the close, that's that's a place of honor to sit and to have the Lord invite you to come and dip the bread with you, share this bowl of sock with me, right? That's a place of honor. Well, the rest of that verse says has lifted his heel against me. Let me read you what Michael says about that. Um, it is significant that the betrayal is prefigured in Psalm 41, 9, Jesus quotes the verse concerning the friend who shares his bread as Judas literally takes the bread from Jesus' own hand. That's in verse 26. The image, let's, listen, the image of lifting up the heel in Semitic culture speaks of betrayal and disdain. To show someone the bottom of your foot is a mark of contempt. Right. So in exchange for the closeness and the friendship and the love that Jesus extends to Judas, what does Judas do in return? Show him disdain. Shows him the bottom of his foot. Wow! And we're out of time. John, <laughs> good discussion. Uh, any any thoughts as we close?
2: Well, in Genesis, the thing about Genesis three fifteen. Where it talks about
0: bruising it on the heel. Those remarks are, are yeah. targeted and yeah. yeah, that's true. Uh, I that's the way I've always thought of that is because is, it does say in Genesis 315 and that um proto Evangelion, I yeah, think yeah. the first gospel is what yeah. they call it. Oh. Um is 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 you know the seed of the woman is gonna crush your head and you're gonna bruise the heel. And I've always thought of that, you know, bruising of the heel. You that that's okay. very right. But that's actually, you know, this idea of lifting up the heels yeah. is an insult, uh, showing disdain for somebody.
2: It's nice to see those little things. Man.
0: Yeah, that's right. It really makes the scripture that. Yeah. Right. All right, let's uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's. Uh, just love these details. love how rich and vivid your word is and 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 it just that's one of the things I love about the wisdom literature, especially is it's just so it's so poetic and beautiful um, and and so rich in its imagery. Um, but in this case, the clarity that, uh, that we get in the poetry points to a really ugly. Response to your love. It's shocking, shocking to think that in the face of having just had his feet washed by the Lord of the universe, Judas would lift up those same feet metaphorically and literally as he walks out the door to go start the wheels turning for the betrayal and the the trials and the eventual crucifixion. That he does this. Knowing full well that you love him. There was no doubt in Judas's mind or anybody else's that, that you loved him. It's such a warning to us as it says that the same sun that melts the wax can also harden the clean. Even as the rest of disciples were rebuked in their pride by the foot washing. And their hearts were softened by it. Judas's was hard beaten. Such a warning to us, Lord, that we not have hard hearts as well. I pray that it's true for me, true for everyone in this room, anyone who might hear this message sometime later, that, that we would search our own hearts and we would, as much as it lies within us to beg you for mercy, Amen. and to and to and to. See if there be any hurtful way of being Lord, even if we've confessed our sin, it still doesn't absolve us because, as Dad rightly said from Ezekiel uh, 17 9, the heart is deceitful, first and foremost to us. So help us to not have hard hearts, or with hearts that are distracted with other things, but that you may be first in our hearts in Jesus' name.
2: They're my, they're my. Thank